Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I would say that things are starting to get pretty interesting when it comes to Georgia's 2023 recruiting class, and you have seen lots of evidence of you know, movement in the right direction with some key recruits and maybe another big domino fell yesterday. Now, this in itself is not obviously and inherently good news for UGA, but you don't have to look very far on the internet to kind of find out what dog fans, plugged in folks, are kind of saying about the decommitment of Raylan Wilson, a linebacker from Tallahassee who's been committed to Michigan. But that is no longer true. Let me show you this uh, from Wilson on social media. And also, as I pull this up, remind you to check out Jeff Sintel at DogNation.com. Good story with some quotes from Wilson in it last night uh, at DogNation.com. If you want a kind of a reboot on kind of where all this uh, stands and why this is a big deal. But Raylan Wilson says, respect my decision. He's got the edit here from Hayes Fawcett, the talented young man that works for On3. The quote is, I want to thank uh, Coach Harbaugh and the whole Michigan staff for welcoming me with open arms. But this time, I'd like to step back from my commitment and explore my options a little bit more. That from Raylan Wilson, of course, the uh, Tallahassee Lincoln program, historically one of the better programs here in the uh, southeast. That's where he goes to school, was going to go to Michigan, but now that's not the case. A lot of Georgia folks seem to think this could be good news for UGA. He's visited Florida a couple times there as well, but Florida ain't winning with no recruits these days. Bad grammar, intentional. So that sort of leads you to believe uh, that Georgia might be in a pretty good spot. And I got a few thoughts about this. Thought number one is, I think it's probably safe to assume if you travel way up north to Ann Arbor, I don't think those Michigan folks want to see Georgia anytime soon in any form or fashion for as long as life goes on. And it's hard not to see this recruiting battle playing out. And we should point out not everybody follows this stuff quite as closely. Like Raylan Wilson is not committed to Georgia, and this is not an announcement that he's going to Georgia, but the decommitment from Michigan for a lot of folks sort of feels like the precursor to what could end up being a pledge to UGA. A lot of Michigan fans feel the same way. And it is hard to think about all of this without being, think about having been in South Florida, Miami around the time of the Orange Bowl. I've told you a million times. It's like when you go back and relive that portion of, of Georgia football history, it's very easy to fixate on the national championship game and the national championship game alone and what Georgia did finally vanquishing its longtime arch nemesis Alabama. And you should go back and rewatch that as much as you possibly can and enjoy the memorabilia that you brought back or the gear that you've purchased or look back through your phone and scroll back through those pictures. You should do that all the time. But for those of you who are lucky enough to have been in uh, Miami for the Orange Bowl or for those of you who you know, have just vivid memories of watching that game on television, when you recollect on the great season for Georgia, looking back on that Orange Bowl, I think has got to be a part of that there as well. This was a truly special moment for UGA that set up the opportunity to finally beat Alabama because in the aftermath of having lost Alabama in the SEC championship game, Man, the conversation around Georgia football was quite different than it eventually would be. Georgia fans themselves were obviously a little bit down on their own team, but there were a lot of people who thought uh, Michigan was going to win there that day. And when you got to 
uh, Hard Rock Stadium there that afternoon, getting ready for that game there that night, you saw a very different scene than we have grown used to seeing when it comes to to Georgia and these big games outside of the estate here. We're normally used to seeing kind of a dog nation invasion, sort of a stadium takeover by UGA. But that day, there were tens upon tens of thousands of Michigan folks there. Maize and blue, as far as the eye could see. And all of those Michigan folks really and truly thought they were going to win the game against Georgia. And for those of you that remember the postgame show that we did from inside the stadium there that evening, you know, there was a big group of Michigan folks who had even like rented out the stadium for like a New Year's Eve celebration after the game. And I think they literally thought it was going to be this huge celebration party. It turned out to be like the most awkward thing in the world, like the DJ music blaring, but no Michigan fan feeling like dancing. But listen, at this point in time, you've bought the stadium. You might as well try to get some use out of it. The whole thing was so awkward. And the sense that you got leaving Hard Rock there that night was Michigan fans really openly admitted they felt really dumb for ever thinking their team could have played on the field with the overall athleticism for Georgia and what was the line was it Apollo Creed from the original Rocky so there ain't gonna be no rematch I think Michigan fans walked out of a hard rock that night saying we're not interested in future rematches we've sort of learned all we need to know about our team for right now tucking tail between legs heading back up to the great white north and now back here in a recruiting battle situation again uh, seeing Georgia seemingly flexing in such a big way to pull Wilson away from his Michigan commitment and maybe becoming a you know such a big factor of eventually leading to a commitment from Wilson to UGA I think the Michigan folks are just about done with UGA (laughs) I think the honest ones would openly admit that they're kind of in their own right but when you also think about how potentially if Wilson were to come to Georgia how he fits into the situation here I think it leads to something really pretty cool because I think that Raylan Wilson, the best that I can tell, is a really good player, but it's not just him. I mean, you certainly get the impression that Georgia has a chance of putting together a historic collection of linebackers here for this 2023 class and historic is kind of a heavy word and you know sometimes it has the tendency to, to, to feel overused or maybe overstated. But, I mean, to think that you could get a Wilson to go along with what you've already got in the class, C.J. Allen, there's a lot to like about C.J. Allen. There seems to be some positive movement if you pay attention to internet chatter, online chatter, between Georgia and uh, Trey Bowles, the son of Todd Bowles, the Bucks coach. I mean, if you're telling me that Georgia has a chance to pull a trio of linebackers like, like Trey Bowles and maybe Raylan Wilson, already C.J. Allen, y'all, that's... I mean, it's not a stretch to say that really reminds you of the trio that Georgia just lost of last year's team, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, and N'Kobe Dean. All those guys would have to play and play well to live up to that, but all of them would be kind of expected to do some version of that. It's a level of success that Georgia's enjoying in recruiting, I would say, because of how good its defense was a year ago. And all of a sudden, there's this proof of concept where all of a sudden you don't have linebackers worried about other linebackers and too many linebackers you know in one position group for me to find my success I mean uh, <laughs> you just don't have that Quay Walker kind of played in the shadow of N'Kobe Dean but he himself became a first round pick this uh, past year Channing Tindall really wasn't even a starter for UGA but had NFL teams salivating over the chance to have him 
on their roster. It's just the kind of success that Georgia has enjoyed at that position. And obviously, big time guys want to be a part of it. And in fact, there are other linebackers that you would think would maybe also like to be at UGA too, but they just may not be able to even get that opportunity because there simply isn't room. One of the oldest cliches in the book is spots are tight when it comes to recruiting. But in the case of UGA, especially at the linebacker spot, it certainly seems like there are more talented players who'd like to be at UGA. And obviously in a perfect world, George would bring them all in. But when you have, you know, at least some limitations on what you can sign, you know, George in a situation like right now where there are truly more great linebacking prospects that want to come to George and there are spots available for them. But at the very least, if Georgia signs three of these guys this year, all three of the guys that it signs, you know, Allen and uh, maybe Raylan Wilson, you would certainly hope for Trey Bowles. All of them might end up being really good players. And it sort of leads me to, to something that I've said before, that the reputation of the Georgia 2021 defense was really undeniable that it was one of those things that I don't know this steam had really built up before the season began I don't know if that was the case but certainly by the time the season was really humming along everybody became very keenly aware right away that this was more than just a good defensive unit coached by a defensive-minded guy in Kirby Smart and this is more than just sort of the typical you know dominant defense the SEC seems to have at least one of each and every year this was something that that likely had the 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 strong possibility of being remembered as a truly historic unit in fact you want to go back to relatively early in the season maybe one of the funniest uh i guess most honest and raw moments of the year when shane beamer the south carolina coach was being questioned about you know what happened to his team in terms of trying to keep pace offensively with what george was doing defensively i think beamer laid it out about as clear as anybody could about just how daunting the task was of going up against the georgia defense and for georgia fans who enjoyed every moment of this you know this robust description of what made georgia different is the kind of thing that georgia fans certainly love to hear what was said and still like hearing it now this was shane beamer back during the season they've got like a hundred five-star football players on their defense they are they have a defensive lineman that weighs 340 pounds and, and runs better than everybody on this call uh they've got five-star defensive backs they're big and physical and fast i mean other than that they're really freaking good that's why they have the top defense in the country they're hard to run the football on so there wasn't some magical scheme they came out with tonight they got five-star recruits everywhere and they play really physical damn so i think that's really funny i think that beamer's got a good way with the media he just has a very kind of honest way of speaking genuineness to the words that he uses and i think that's kind of funny and it does i think stand as a representation of what a lot of people think about when they you know think about uga from this past season in fact some people take all of that a step further and they'll say yeah this georgia defense was the best in the country last year some would say it's the best of all time i don't know if it is or it isn't it's at least a conversation and you got some evidence and some argument uh, you know ammunition on your side if you're gonna argue uga for that and then the next place some people take it is and nobody will ever be that good again or in particular that georgia defensively will never ever be able to be as good as it was in 2021 and that's where you know i've kind of stepped in and said i'm not quite so sure about that now listen let me admit something here for a moment when you speak into a microphone for a living there's a tendency to want to be louder and louder and louder every single day and kind of 
it's just sort of fun to sort of spew hot takes and it's just it's just kind of we've said before that the language that sports fans use the way their way of showing their love for sports is to argue about it and you know one of the best ways to kind of create a good argument is that can make a bold statement bold prediction you know bold claim hot take if you will and you know kind of have it out with people who may have a different opinion that's just kind of what sports fans do and when you do that a lot obviously you're going to get a lot of these wrong i get stuff wrong all the time and i told you for weeks i thought arch manning was coming to georgia turns out that wasn't the case you know i don't like getting things wrong but you just sort of you know shake it off and you move on to the next thing however i don't get them all wrong and i think an opinion that i've expressed over the course of the last few months i think is starting to show some evidence that it might eventually become true because what i said and i said this very early in the calendar year of 2022 and have repeated a few times since then what i have said is is that the ultimate legacy of the 2021 defense five first round draft picks all of the statistical feats it accomplished during the year the ultimate legacy of georgia's 2021 defense is is i think it lays the foundation for a defense at georgia to eventually be even better than this group was right now i really believe that's the case and i think you're starting to see some evidence of that look at what georgia did with its 2022 recruiting class has any program ever had a better collection of defensive backs than slim singletary and dalen everett and uh, malachi starks and uh, julian humphrey and on and on you go that's about as good as you can get and yet you've also got like you know these premier edge rusher type guys in one case more of a defense lineman but mikhail williams and marvin jones jr these are these are the kind of top shelf recruits that that anybody would want at any time georgia got two of them the same year to go along with a historic hall of defensive backs and all of a sudden now you know fresh off the the nicobe dean quay walker channing tendall triumvirate and they're at the linebacker spot all of a sudden you start to see the makings of what could be a similar grouping here for the class of 2023 when it comes to linebackers there too that pretty obviously the success that georgia enjoyed defensively in 2021 has created kind of a proof of concept a comparative spec where a lot of future recruits say i want to go to this place because i saw what this player did on the 2021 defense and i want to have those same results i want to get paid like that guy's being paid in the nfl i want to have the kind of stats that guy uh had while he was in college i want to contribute to a national championship the way that guy did in college uh, i want to have that same kind of career therefore i want to go to georgia and by the way whoever that, that guy is in that comparison could be a whole number of people it could be one of the linebackers like we said before it could be one of the defensive linemen like trayvon number one overall pick jordan davis Devontae wyatt both first round picks it could be any a number of things there as well and you know across the defense defense but but there are a lot of guys who say hey i want to be the next one of those dudes i want to make the safe easy choice of going to a place that's going to use me as well as georgia used all those guys in 2021 you don't have to worry about you know being too crowded for you to find your opportunity or too many guys kind of pulling the spotlight away for you georgia showed in 2021 there's enough glory to go around and because they had so much success I believe they set up another defense to eventually be even better than the defense was in 2021. As outrageous a claim as that sort of seems to be at face value, dig deeper. I don't quite think it's quite as outrageous as you might imagine when you look at the kind of recruiting dividends that have already been paid and the groundwork that's being laid for even more of those announcements coming up over the course of the next few weeks. I think you see the evidence of that. The Georgia defense in 2021 was historic. You know, different people may debate whether it was the best of all time, but I think eventually Kirby Smart may produce one that's even better. And some of the recruits that Georgia signed in 2022 and some of the guys that could be set to join in 2023 
could end up being a very big part of that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Breda Pest Management. We're glad to have you today, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945 at dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Boy, we came with an eyelash of not being on that platform today. Uh, Connor Riley's uh, producing for us all week long today. Happy to have him here and thankful that he was able to kind of get that mess cleaned up. And we're up and running and ready to go and glad about that. Of course, all the other platforms there too, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. It's just really fun to be able to deliver the show to you live on video each and every day. I'm not smart enough to know how it gets done, but I'm happy somebody figures it out and happy I'm able to speak to you. And we can have this fun Georgia football conversation as the summer rolls on here. Of course, a lot of you listening there on the radio at Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref every day at noon. I'm glad to have you there for that. Podcast, anytime you want to, all kinds of podcast platforms. A lot of fun there too. And of course, a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management for making it all possible. Yeah, Breda Pest Management is the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means they're taking care of all those big venues there around Athens, including Sanford Stadium and all the other athletic uh, venues there too. That means, listen, they're known for top-notch service and, and all the things associated with that. They're known for taking really good care of you. They're known for supporting UGA. It's kind of fun to support those that support UGA. But here's what I want to make sure you know them for right now more than anything else. You've got a pest control provider maybe in your life that's sending you that letter every single year, you know, communicating with you, ah, your service is going up. We're giving you, you know, uh, a new bill, higher price, like everything else seemingly, uh, it's going to cost you more this year than it cost you a year before. At a certain point in time, you're just ready for that kind of stuff to stop. Well, here's how you can make that stop. You can make the switch to Breda Pass Management, and you're going to save money instantly when you make that choice. That's what they're able to do for you. They're able to put more money in your pocket right away by giving you a better price and a better deal on your termite protection your pest control uh service Breda pass management is going to take really good care of you on all of that so please make sure you check him out online matt Breda is a great dude he's a big sports fan loves uga see him at braves games and stuff all the time just a good guy and he's got a great team 100 something people uh that have been doing this kind of stuff going all the way back to the 1970s they know how to take good care of you and right now they know how to do it for a better price than the uh, pest control provider who's probably charging more than they should be Breda Pest Management is not going to be that way. Check them out, BredaPest.com. Now, let me spell it for you. If you're listening, radio podcast, or if you're just not looking at your screen right now, B-R-E-D-A. That's BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A. That'll get you in touch with them. Or really good stuff from our folks at Breda Pest Management. All right, we're going to talk to Mike Griffith here in a uh, moment. A lot going on around UGA. We'll get some thoughts from him about all of that. Mike also had a very interesting conversation on Monday with – uh, former SEC coach, head, head coach Tennessee, defense coordinator at a couple different spots, including UGA, Jeremy Pruitt. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Pruitt's one of those guys that I don't have the world's best memories of his tenure here at UGA. I think he's obviously a sharp defensive mind. I think that he was, uh, you know, really a lot of the stuff that I think went on there in 2015, I think he bears a lot of the blame for. And I think it was kind of an ugly chapter in Georgia's football history. But listen, you know, Pruitt's also been a guy that's been deeply entrenched in the world of college football for a long time, was Jimbo Fisher's defensive coordinator at Florida State, came to UGA, uh, obviously, uh, you know, was the replacement for Kirby Smart as defensive coordinator at Alabama and head coach there at Tennessee. So his opinion on a lot of topics matters. And uh, Mike Griffith uh, had him on Monday. And the subject came up of you know we talked before about historic Georgia defense and all the great talent that Georgia had last season obviously winning the national championship and Mike asked Jeremy well how do you move on from that how do you 
you know, how, how do you get back to the business of competing with in the shadow of the success that you enjoyed a year ago and so many of the players that contributed to that success no longer being here? I thought that Pruitt had an interesting answer. Let me give you this from Mike's On the Beat, Jeremy Pruitt here on the Dog Nation video channels on Monday night. Obviously, Georgia's been recruiting at a very high level, so there's still a lot of really good football players at Georgia. Um, and, and you probably, or I, not probably, you know them a lot better than I do, Mike. Um, but there's something about having experience. Um, and, and one of the most important things is experience at quarterback, and Georgia has that. Um, so, you know, uh, you, they've got experience at quarterback. They, they've recruited well in the, the offensive line. They have explosive players on offense. Uh, as long as Kirby's at Georgia, they're going to play good defense. Uh, it may be a different, you know, a different uh, group each year. Maybe the maybe the 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 D line may be a little stronger than the inside backers this year, just because experience, or uh, maybe the secondary. But they're, they're going to play good defense, and and they'll figure out a way uh, to do it. It might look a little different, but you you can bet they'll be there uh, when it counts. I love that phrase from Pruitt there at the end, that Georgia's going to be there, he says, when it counts. And you know, I mean, I don't know specifically what he was meaning by that, but I know what I mean when I say something like that. It's about being back in that postseason conversation come December and January. You look at the history of the college football playoff, which dates back to 2014. Every national champion in the playoff era but two were back in the playoff again the following year. And I, I think at a sort of a baseline goal that ought to be the mission for Georgia find a way to navigate the regular season I would say that's you know certainly a little easier to do this year than it might be for some teams in certain situations Georgia's a big favorite in all the regular season games that it plays he sets up a big showdown against Alabama in the SEC championship maybe that's where all the marbles maybe it's like last year where both those teams uh regardless of the result get a chance to move on to the college football playoff but one way or another being back in the playoff conversation give yourself that chance what do they say in poker having a chip and a chair give yourself a chair at the table have a stack in front of you and a chance to go all in for a chance to win another national championship listen to jeremy prude on monday night sounds like he thinks georgia might have the opportunity to do just that pretty interesting stuff you can check out the dog nation video channels including youtube for the rest of the jeremy Pruitt interview for now though the guy that conducted the interview and does on the beat each and every monday night here on dog nation and joins us each and every wednesday it's our buddy mike griffith let's get ready to talk to him right now from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so uh, Mike Griffith joins us here now on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Mike, we played a little audio there a moment ago from what Pruitt said with you on Monday about Georgia for next season. What do you think of your chance to get a, uh, an opportunity to speak with the former Tennessee head coach, former Georgia defensive coordinator? Uh, what you get? What you think about your chance to get a chance to speak with him on Monday? Yeah, I like where Jeremy's at. You know, he's been through a lot, obviously, uh, since, uh, you know, losing the job at Tennessee and, and the Giants staff turning over. And, of course, I built a relationship with him, uh, you know, when I covered Tennessee, working for SEC country. We we staffed it. We were there when he got hired. We, we covered him down in the Sugar Bowl. I was down there to watch him uh, as a defensive coordinator when Georgia played, or excuse me, when Alabama played Clemson, a really bad Clemson team, by the way. While Georgia was out there, you know, going to the nth degree to beat Oklahoma, that was quite a disadvantage for the SEC champions, I might add. 
Uh, and then I was there at the national championship game to cover Jeremy and talk to him on the field after they won the game. You know, he, he'd been hired as the Tennessee head coach before those playoff games. So I built a good relationship with him and followed him around at all their caravan stops and got to know him pretty well. Uh, so I was pleased that, that, uh, he was a part of dog nation and, you know, Jeremy's proud of his time at Georgia. Um, you know, that's an important time in his life. That's when him and his wife, Casey got married and, you know, he felt like working for Mark Rick. He learned a lot. He felt like, you know, having worked for Jimbo Fisher and Nick, it was kind of the same, he said. But when you work for Mark Rick, you kind of learn a lot about uh, how Coach Bowden did things. And he said, you know, between Bobby Bowden and Nick Saban, um, you know, he feels like he, he learned a lot. And so he can speak really well about the Georgia program. Having been inside that building, he understands the inherent challenges that Georgia has haven't been on the staff, and, and he understands how to recruit against Georgia. Uh, haven't been at Florida State and Alabama, so he's got a really um, interesting and unique perspective on all things Georgia, and you know, really comparable to Kirby. Um, and uh, he's an interesting guy. And I thought he had a lot of really interesting things to say, but it was very clear to me that he's got a great appreciation for Georgia. He spoke very highly of Kirby and the Georgia football program. Certainly an odd, an odd chapter of his life when he was here, though. All the rumors of the, you know, some of the stuff that went on, you know, some of it's, I guess, beyond rumors. So it's certainly, talk about, you know, kind of an interesting football life he's led up until now. I'd say that Georgia tenure, you know, some of the alleged confrontations with Rick and things like that, that's certainly an odd chapter in that football life, though, wouldn't you say? For sure, you know, and, and Jeremy kind of, he didn't bring that, say that specifically, but, you know, what he did say was, you know, with the, when you're part of Nick Saban's staff and even Kirby Smart staff, that, you know, part of what makes it work is that guys do speak out. And, and from what, uh, you know, Kirby suggested about Jimbo and Nick when they were on the same staff and even what Jimbo said to me at SEC uh, meetings, when I asked Jimbo Fisher about his relationship with Nick and, you know, cause I had a former player tell me those guys were nose to nose on the practice field. And the way he explained it, he said, you know, it's, it's like your brother. And Brandon, you could probably relate to that. Sure. Um, you know, do, do you love your brother? Well, yeah. Do you ever fight with your brother? Well, yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, your fan. And I think what it sounds like to me, um, my takeaway on that is that on these Saban, Kirby, Jimbo staff, you know, that, that sometimes, you know, these, these coaches kind of have it out. That's, that's part, you know, I've been in newsrooms like that. Newsrooms where people say, what do you think of the headline? Well, I think it sucks. <laughs> okay, well then I'll change it, you know. And, but then I, but then I've been in other newsrooms where what do I think of the headline? Well, I think it sucks. Well, I can't believe you said that. I'm going to the Super Bowl. So it, it's just a matter of how is the staff managed, and it sounds like, you know, Coach, Coach Rick, being you know he's a very gentle man, and then there's a lot of you know hand holding and kumbaya, and and maybe having a guy like Jeremy Pruitt thrown in that mix is, was was not what Mark Rick staffs were like compared to the more confrontational nature that you might find on a Nick Jimbo or Kirby staff. You know, one of the things that he talked about, I'm talking about Jeremy Pruitt here in the clip we played a moment ago is Georgia coming back after having won a national championship and a big indicator of kind of what the playing profile personality of the team is going to be was this Walter Camp preseason All-American list that came out uh, a few days ago. 
and I wasn't surprised to see three Georgia names on that first team list. Uh, those are the three names I guess you'd probably expect. Brock Bowers, a tight end. Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo off the defense. But, Mike, it does, once again, remind me of something we've been saying here quite a bit, which is that for everything that Georgia lost, and obviously the challenge of repeating as national champion, that in terms of the way we typically measure a team's health moving into a new year, how many expected top-end performers do you have? How do you compare to other you know teams in that regard? that regardless of what happened a year ago looking at just this 2022 team in isolation Georgia would seem to be in pretty good shape to begin a season here and this all-american list that came out the other day acknowledging Bowers acknowledging Ringo acknowledging Carter I think it's just the latest example of that what do you think well I heard you use a poker analogy a little bit earlier in the show so I'm going to give you a poker analogy okay um so you're holding um a pair of queens when the flop happens and you feel pretty good when another queen gets turned up, but there's two other guys going all in. You know, somebody might have a straight or somebody might have a flush. And here's where I'm going with that. I think George is fine, but I think the other teams are better this year than they were a year ago. I think that uh, South Carolina is markedly better and has a puncher's chance. Don't think they'll beat Georgia, but I think they're much better with the transfers they have in. They've got questions. I think Tennessee's better in year two under Hypo with Hendon Hooker now in his second year. I think Kentucky is better. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I think the Oregon game is more of a threat than Clemson. I, I don't. I don't think Oregon is as good as Clemson was a year ago. Um, but I guess my point is, I think Georgia, you know, the Alabama team they played last year wasn't the Alabama team of 2020. I don't know if they would have beaten the Alabama team of 2020. I don't know if they'd have beaten the LSU team of 2019. I don't know if they'd have beaten the Clemson team of 2018. And, and so my point is this. It's all relative. Georgia may be better than they were a year ago offensively and, and close on defense. And that may not be enough because a big part of the equation is what do the other teams look like? Who's injured? Who's not injured? Same thing for Georgia. Who's injured? Does, does, does Stetson stay healthy this year? Right? Remember 2020, he got injured. Um, you know, you've got to go back to 2019 to find a year when Georgia started ended a season with the same quarterback that started the season. Yeah. So there's a lot of elements to this. But, but as far as where they sit, I think if you're a Georgia fan, I think you should feel good about it. I think the play, I think you're absolutely right. If, if Georgia makes the playoff, then without a doubt, you got to call that a season. Regardless of what happens, if they're in the playoff, that absolutely has to be considered. But to me, if they play in a New Year's Six game, to me, that's, that's the break-even point. That's where I think Georgia should be is in a New Year's Six game. And if they make the playoff, to me, I'm with you. I think that's a successful season. Yeah, so it's interesting because to me, I think those outcomes are wildly different. And listen, I'm actually one of those people that says, I kind of enjoy going to the New Year's Six Bowls. I think going to the Sugar Bowl is actually pretty fun. I mean, there's certainly worse way to spend New Year's Eve than in having some good food and enjoying, you know, a trip to so like poker, trip to Harris Casino or something like that. There's certainly worse way to spend, <laughs> you know, New Year's than that. But to me, I don't think a New Year's Six Bowl is a success. If Georgia's playing the Sugar Bowl, if, which is, by the way, noon on New Year's Eve this year, which is a pretty strange thing. Um, if it's New Year's Six Bowl, speaking as a fan here for a moment, but also as someone who kind of evaluates this stuff for a living, I think that's below the standard of what Georgia ought to be aspiring to right now. You know, I think playoff is a success. Like, in other words, if Georgia goes blah, blah, blah and, and makes the playoff and falls short of winning the national championship, would I be willing to call that a successful season? Yeah, I guess I probably would, knowing there's going to be plenty more national championships to compete for in the future. Being back in that Final Four to me would be a pretty big deal. But if all it is is New Year's Six Bowl, knowing that, 
you know, most of the SEC teams that are in that seemingly just sort of buy their way into that scenario. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I feel that the New Year's Six game alone is is much of an accomplishment that would feel a little hollow for me not just following up a national championship but for just what georgia's supposed to be under kirby smart you know new year six alone feels a little less than what ug ought to be capable of well i can understand that point of view going into the season because right now you know it's like the daytona 500 right right now every car thinks they're capable of winning you know everybody, everybody starts even and and everybody's optimistic you know but i i don't think the reason why i i i say that the new year six is the break even is because all things being equal um if georgia has attrition it'll be more costly than last year because they don't have the championship depth because this is a reload year because you did lose 15 guys to the nfl and four former starters in the transfer portal and 11 guys and seven guys because of the circumstance any other i'm not saying that this is where georgia should be every year there's absolutely, because I think football's cyclical, right? I, I think, you know, like, I think last year for Alabama, having lost six first round picks, that's a huge success. Huge success that, that they even made the playoff after losing six guys in the first round of the NFL draft and having a new quarterback and losing it. And then, and the other thing, BA, is that sometimes what happens during the season kind of changes our perspective and our expectation, right? 2018, Georgia. You know, they've lost some pretty key guys, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Roquan Smith. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know, we thought, you know, they should have been in the play. I thought they should have been in the playoff. I thought they were one of the four best teams, if that's what it is. But apparently it's not. Um, but, it, you know, I thought they – so when they played Texas, I thought they needed to beat Texas because I thought they should – and then they didn't, and it felt like a disappointment. One year later, the 2019 team – which, I, if you recall, I made some circus references that you didn't feel good about at the receiver position. I won't use that word today. But it, it felt like a huge win that they went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Baylor. With all these guys missing and with you know Jake dealing with a very different receiving core than a year before. So it's interesting how our perspective changes during the course of the season. As we sit here right now, if Georgia gets through the season you know, clean as a whistle with no injuries – I'm, I'm more apt to think that they probably will win all their regular season games or maybe only lose one uh, and likely make the playoffs. Um, but in the, the odds tell me that typically you're going to lose a few guys. And so I guess my point is this. I don't think Georgia has a, much of a margin for error this year if they're going to make the playoff because you have so much inexperience. And then behind that inexperience – you have some real green guys. So I, I just don't think the margin for error is there. And I don't want to set myself up or even the Georgia audience for anything that, that wouldn't be fair. That's kind of my thought. So I'm guessing you're going to disagree with me on this, but I, I want to have the conversation anyway. Let's say that 2021 didn't happen. Let's say I waved a magic wand. That's, that year just disappeared. That you know we went straight from 2020 to 2022, the year we're about to go into. I believe that if you look at this Georgia team on paper right now, I say it is more of a legit championship contender on paper than any other Kirby Smart team was prior to the season beginning. I'm going to include 2017 on that there as well because there wasn't a lot of you know you know chatter about UGA prior to the 2017 season. I'll take the 
kind of on paper style buzz of this team more so than any other team in the smart area now by the way there wasn't also a ton of national championship predictions for georgia before last year either but the fact they won the title just sort of clouds the discussion so take 2021 out of this i think this defense looks better on paper than the other defenses did to begin the season i think the totality of the offense probably does there as well uh removing 2021 from the discussion mike i believe this is the best team on paper to begin a season that smart has had Wow. Well, I mean, so you're going chips all in on Stetson Bennett then, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think 2018 Jake Fromm was better because of the secondary and all the first round guys, Richie LeCount, Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, um, you know, Jordan, you know, they, they did have a pretty good front. They didn't have, I don't think Jordan was it, but you had Monty Rice in there. I'm going to go 2018. And I, I think your argument uh, for this boils down to whether or not people buy into that Stetson Bennett can elevate his game and score points when, when he needs to. I think that's what, and, and some people will say, well, sure he can, you know, because a lot of the offense wasn't really needed. And Todd Munkin told us that he said, you know, there were a lot of times in the second half, you know, where we turned it down, right. You know, Texas is all gas and no brakes. Well, Kirby puts the brakes on in the fourth quarter. We've, we've seen Dejon Edwards carry the ball 13 times in the fourth quarter of a game. We saw against Michigan, uh, you know, 15, 16 plays and 15 of them were runs. So, so do we believe that if Georgia wanted to score more points and go all gas, more breaks, this offense could be prolific? I mean, I guess I, I think the jury's out. I think the jury's out and uh, we'll see because I, you know, in the SEC championship game and in the spring game, when they needed to rely heavily on his passing game, I didn't see it. Now to your, the other part of the discussion is the defense and what will this young defense do? I mean, Jalen Carter is fantastic. I, I'm a believer in Zion Logue. I think he's big time. I think Nolan Smith is an NFL player. Uh, I think I think the linebacker play outside of uh, Javon Dumas Johnson. I think you got questions there. You got a couple questions at linebacker, and I got questions in the secondary. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not drinking the Kool Aid on the secondary. You know, every week we went to the interviews, and Chris Smith and Lewisine told us we got problems. We got problems. We got to go to the lab. You guys don't see it because our pass rush is so doggone good, but we are not as good on the back end as you think. And you lost your best cover guy and you lost the first round safety. So from a talent standpoint, and that's, you know, I, I agree with you, but from what they've done on the field, I have questions and I feel good about this offense to be clear. I, I don't, I think that the running game is going to be, I think this is the best run game they've had since 2019. I, I think when, when, and Swift was awesome. Unfortunately, he didn't have enough of a passing game you know, that, that he could, you know, have much room to work with. And that and that's why I say, B.A., this all boils down to Stetson Bennett. Because if Bennett can get the ball downfield and be as efficient this year as he was last year, in, in game circumstances are going to be different. Field position is not going to be what it was. You're not going to get as many possessions. And sometimes you might play from behind. But if he can stay as efficient this year as he was last year, then you, my friend, will be right in that premise but if you want to compare Bennett to CJ Stroud or Bryce Young and you take the other quarterback I got no problem with that but if the comparison with Jake Fromm and I say this as a Fromm fan Stetson Bennett's already better than Jake Fromm like what Bennett did last year was better than what Fromm did in 2018 he had a better year now if you're going to say well I don't think he's going to come back and replicate that that's obviously an opinion we'll find out if that's true one way or another but Bennett already has surpassed Jake Fromm's quarterback play in my mind with a chance to you know either add to that or whatever here in 2022 but Fromm in a Georgia uniform never had as good a year as Bennett had a year ago 
Well, that's true. You know, JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett had the two highest passer ratings in Georgia football history. Uh, you know, both of them had higher passer ratings than uh, JT in 2020 and Stetson 20 higher than Aaron Murray. How much of that's Stetson Bennett and how much of that's Todd Munkin? Um, you know, I think, I'm just honestly, I think Jake Fromm's a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. I think he's better. I think he throws better. I think he makes better decisions. His mobility wasn't as good. Um, but I, I thought he was a better quarterback. I think if you put Jake Fromm in last year's team, they don't lose a game all year. You know, we can't play that imaginary game. But but to your point, to your point, and, and I'll agree, and I'll say it again, if Stetson Bennett can be as efficient and put similar numbers up from a passing standpoint, uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio, passing efficiency, if all those numbers – can be that good. But my question is how much of Stetson Bennett's success was a byproduct of having a defense that was holding teams to 6.9 points per game during the regular season and favorable field position with a guy that I I don't think we talk often enough. Uh, And and JT, by the way, JT Daniels too. I mean, JT Daniels isn't beating Clemson without a championship defense. Clemson's defense put the clamps on uh, JT Daniels isn't coming from behind against Cincinnati if the defense doesn't shut Cincinnati down in the fourth quarter after after Georgia's down 21 to 10. So I, I say the same thing about JT. JT benefited from that defense every bit as much. Any quarterback would. That's not a knock on Stetson Bennett that he had a championship defense. The question is, what happens to Stetson Bennett and the offense, Todd Munkin for that matter, when you don't have a championship defense, when you don't have the luxury of playing ahead 90% of the time, when you're not starting out at your own 40-yard line, and if those, but if those numbers can stay efficient, even though those other circumstances will likely change because Jake Kamara is not coming back, then I agree with you. But to me, that's where the proof is in the pudding. And, uh, and it'll be really – I felt really good about the 2018 team, though, Brandon. I got to tell you, I mean, you look at that defense, man – Tyson Campbell, DeAndre Baker, Eric Stokes, Richie LeCount was an All-American before the injury. Those linebackers, you know, that line wasn't what it was now, but it was still pretty good. Swift in that, I love Swift in the backfield. Thought so much of him. NFL receivers, I like not at tight end. Uh, the Great Wall offensive line, um, man, that's a, that's a great discussion. It really is a great discussion point. Well, we'll have to have it more in the uh, time to come. Mike, thanks for being here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pass Manager today. We'll look forward to reading from you, a lot more from you there at uh, dognation.com, and we'll get a chance to chat with you very soon there as well. Appreciate it, B.A. Thanks, man. take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through some interesting stuff there with uh mike griffith interesting look at what georgia gonna look like here this upcoming season and obviously no one can know the end result of the season unless i come on here i could you know make some sort of claim about how the year is going to end but you know i would be correct about as frequently as chance would dictate right and there's you know about a coin flip of getting that right or not but I do think that that if you want to go back through kind of like the annals of history in your mind, especially if you follow this close, especially if you have a pretty good memory, right? after a while my memory starts to fade here a little bit. I just think it's important to know that that you know this Georgia team feels like it's in the shadow of what Georgia did in 2021, but in terms of expected top-end performance, I mean, look at some of the mock draft stuff that's out there. I mean, Georgia's very commonly right now projected to have at least two I shouldn't say at least two that'd be uh, enough like two top 10 picks in next year's draft listen 
you know, a year out, mock drafts notoriously incorrect. But, I mean, did the 2018 team have, you know, and listen, I'm not obviously bashing Georgia in 2018 or anything like that. But in terms of, you know, what was being said about a lot of these teams going into the year, you know, how frequently did you see multiple guys being projected near the front end of the first round of an NFL draft that if you're a Georgia fan, the kind of chatter that exists around your team right now is the kind of chatter, I think, that would lead you to believe uh, you're in pretty good shape as you move to the upcoming season and now you just got to go out there and just kind of do it all over again obviously and it's not easy to do when you've got new faces in uh, new places but uh georgia's certainly going to have a chance to do that here uh, as soon as this fall can't wait to see that play out before we get to that though there is more summer to enjoy and for some of you that means being on a royal caribbean cruise vacation i hear from some of you from time to time but yeah i got one coming up i'm excited about it i'm gonna be on so-and-so ship or whatever else and listen i'm so happy that a you're enjoying the cruise vacation and b you're letting me know about your royal caribbean experience because i love celebrating that with you because there's really no better thing to do this time of year than being out there whether it's one of those three or four night sailings heading towards the bahamas one of those seven night sailings maybe on a ship i was on uh what what was i on uh harmony of the seas <laughs> i told you the memory fails after a little while here i was on harmony of the seas back in uh, february gorgeous ship great experience one of those oasis class ships uh largest you know cruise ships really in the world and they provide so many great options and opportunities for you including specialty restaurants that's one of the things i think has been really cool about the royal caribbean cruise vacations in recent years are all the great specialty restaurant options that have been added on board. Of course, you've got the uh, Chops Grill on every one of the ships. That's the signature steakhouse that you think of when you think about Royal Caribbean. But you've also got Playmaker Sports Bar uh, as well. And that's one of those great things where you can watch sports, you can have wings, you can have some nachos, you can enjoy some good beer and you know, do the same kind of stuff that you would do in kind of a land-based sports bar, but do it out there on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. You've got Johnny Rockets and you got just all kinds of cool things there as well. So check out our friends. Uh, at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. They can help you get settled on the right Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation for you. It's TCAVA.com. That's the website, TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. One more time on that number, 770-952-8300. All right, some recruiting flair to our uh cruising around the sec here courtesy of royal caribbean starting with five-star edge rusher jaden wayne who's gonna have a new home for his senior year he let us know on social media here this week that he is heading from the state of washington to img academy now wayne has been a recruit of note for georgia fans here for quite some time and by the way you see that on twitter there exciting to announce that i'll be attending img academy for my senior year he uh, thanks all the uh, folks involved there, including Ascenders. I think it's kind of a cool name for IMG Academy, uh, but he's heading to IMG Academy. Wayne's been a name of note for UGA because seemingly that's who just George is involved with right now, the best edge rusher types in the country. Uh, and that's obviously kind of what Wayne is. And that's not the only sort of five-star edge type guy that George is going after here. Same moment. Pem is a name you've heard us talk about before. We'll continue to talk about. But Wayne's a guy that a lot of George fans like. And obviously, Georgia throughout the years has had some very, very notable success recruiting guys from IMG Academy. So listen, uh, a lot of us aren't the smartest people in the world, but it's pretty easy to connect the dots on this. Here's a name of note for UGA. Lives way out there in the uh, state of Washington. We've been told what's going to be hard to pull him so far from home. All of a sudden, he's not playing high school football so far from home anymore. All of a sudden, he's playing in a school down in Florida in Bradenton that Georgia's had a lot of 
of success. Think about Warren Brinson. Think about other big names who've kind of come to UGA from IMG. So this must, the thought process would go, make things a little easier for UGA. I'm assuming it doesn't hurt here. I'm assuming that it, that, that doesn't make Georgia's chances any worse. However, and I don't think we have this photo to show you, but like the one thing um, I keep coming back to is, do you remember when Wayne was taking his official visit to Georgia? He had a lot of family members with him there. And like in some of the photos they were posing for, he was holding up the state of Washington flag in those photos. And I just remember thinking that's a lot of like state pride for a guy like this on a Georgia visit. That's not the kind of thing you see everybody always doing. Like, in other words, like when Keely Ringo was visiting UGA coming from uh, uh, Arizona, he was holding the snake in that one picture. I guess it was what a, 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 a Gantz uh, snake, but he wasn't you know holding up the Arizona state flag necessarily. Wayne seems to have a little bit of geographic tie to that Pacific Northwest area, you know, that that Pacific time zone, if nothing else. In other words, when, you know, a cycle ago when Bear Alexander left the state of Texas to come to IMG Academy, my understanding of that situation is that essentially ended really much connection he had to the state of texas whatsoever and you know texas a&m holding on to that commitment once he was out of the state of texas became a very hard thing to do i don't know that i would necessarily compare the alexander situation to the wayne situation given their ties to the states they previously lived in before moving to img now that's also kind of based on sort of a drive-by account of the situation sort of a ten thousand foot view look on it all but I don't know that I would say that Wayne going to IMG Academy is necessarily the same thing as Bear Alexander doing that uh, a year ago. But I'm sure that Jeff Sintel will talk more about this tonight on uh, Before the Hedge is presented by Kroger. And obviously, we'll have Jeff here on the show on Friday heading in to the 4th of July weekend. We'll ask him about Wayne specifically, whether him leaving a state long way from here moving to IMG Academy a lot closer, but also a program where really Georgia's kind of dominated from a recruiting standpoint, if that makes it more of a attainable goal for Georgia winning the recruitment for a guy like Jaden Wayne. Or you know, maybe you make a comparison and you say, well, Georgia's pursuit's actually a little bit heavier for a guy like Mapem or something like that. Uh, we'll let just Jeff tell us the whole deal on that when he joins us later on this week. Also thought it was interesting to see uh, Georgia in the mix here for another good-looking defensive back. This one, Daniel Harris, out of the uh, South Florida, kind of Miami area. Harris putting it out there that he's going to be committing coming up, uh, what is that, Friday? July 1st is Friday. And so he's got a top four that includes Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State and Georgia and I'm laughing here because if you're not watching a video so you got like Michigan down here at the bottom you got you know uh Ohio State and Penn State kind of sort of straddling you know both sides here but right in the middle you got Harris center you know in the center wearing the Georgia all-white uniform standing tall there got the chain around his neck uh it's easy to look at this edit and say oh he maybe feels a little bit differently about one school than he feels about the rest but here's the thing i'm going to say about this and if you're not watching on the video i apologize uh maybe i'll i'll share a link with this so penn state's worn all white for as long as anybody can remember ohio state has worn the sort of white and silver road look for a long time i gotta say and, and maybe connor riley producing today maybe you agree with me on this the georgia all white new as it is it pops a lot more than that penn state white does doesn't it pops a lot more than that ohio state uh white does with the crimson now i don't think that george isn't going to be wearing this white uniform anytime soon but it's been very popular with recruits 
And you see it there for those of you watching on video alongside some of these other, you know, more famous white uniforms, especially Penn State, you know, well-known, long-time white uniform. The Georgia with the kind of cool extra stripe on the helmet and the nice, you know, red with the G around the collar, that pops a lot more than those of Big Ten uniforms do. Uh, but also Harris, who a lot of folks like coming out of South Florida uh, with Georgia kind of right there in the center of his edit as he announced July 1st commitment day. So there you go on that. And then finally, one story to get to for our uh, cruise around the SEC actually doesn't involve the SEC, but it's maybe a precursor for the SEC. And speaking of Connor Riley, he popped on our R.S. Andrews Cooldown yesterday to mention this. The ACC is moving to what they're calling a 355 model here for uh, scheduling going forward. Uh, I mean, they're going to have three permanent opponents and five uh, rotational opponents on their uh, future schedule. And, you know, this is obviously, I would say, where the way the SEC is going to. There is some debate about whether the SEC will adopt the eight or the nine game version of this. At one point in time, I guess it was thought, well, if you go to eight games, you can only have one permanent opponent. Uh, for whatever reason, that if you want the three permanent opponents, you needed the nine-game conference schedule. So we're still listening to some debate about that. There has been reporting out of Kentucky, for instance, that the Wildcats are a program that's against the nine-game schedule. They've said, well, if the league goes to a nine-game schedule, Kentucky won't be able to play Louisville every year anymore because I guess they've got you know Eastern Kentucky and teams like that they want to keep playing, which is disgraceful but nonetheless uh that's kind of the chatter there it's also kind of interesting to see not only about how much the sec's future move resembles what the acc is doing right now but you are just really reminded of just how different a lot of leagues are and the acc from a geographic standpoint is really the closest league to the sec but in terms of how actually business gets done the two leagues could not feel any farther away that when you talk about sec and permanent opponents it's really all about preserving rivalries or the kind of cool games that make for big matchups and the acc the best that i could tell and i tried to follow some of the chatter related to this yesterday the entire discussion is kind of related around like who is even a draw to begin with and how many teams it's almost like as opposed to the SEC, where some teams are going to going to draw three permanent opponents that make for a very tough schedule, and that's kind of the paramount part of the discussion. In the ACC, you get the impression that some teams don't care how tough the opponents are; they just want some teams that are willing to travel on the road, so it makes it a little bit easier to sell some of the tickets. For instance, at Georgia Tech here, there was a little bit of chatter yesterday related to the fact that you know they drew Wake Forest as a permanent opponent and not Florida State, who there's a little bit more of a geographic tie there. Over the years, Florida State and Georgia Tech have actually probably played more memorable football games then you might realize if you don't really care that much about Georgia Tech. And so some Tech fans and maybe maybe even some Florida State fans like the idea of Tech and Florida State playing every year because there's a pretty big alumni base for the Seminoles in Atlanta. And yet instead, uh, Tech got Wake Forest instead of Florida State, an easier opponent in most years, you might think, but kind of worse for the turnstiles, worse for your bottom line at the box office. And in the ACC right now, that sort of seems to matter more than the other stuff. Just really amazing how different that league is from this one, even though in a lot of cases you have a team in that league that shares a state with an SEC, you know, brethren. But boy, the two conferences could not be more different right now. Uh, We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I also want to mention this, and I meant to mention this the other day. So I'm in the midst right now, by the way, this is Dog Nation Daily presented by um, Breda Pass Management, but I'm in the midst right now of filling out my ballot for the georgia high school football hall of fame i'm very very proud to be 
on the uh, committee for the high school football hall of fame it's first ever high georgia high school football hall of fame the first ever induction class is coming up this fall and the first class gonna have 36 members and i've got to turn my first ballot in here coming up pretty soon my guess is we'll probably end up having some tiebreaker votes and some things like that and i'm not going to make my full ballot public i don't think maybe eventually i will i'm certainly not doing that right now connor says don't make the ballot public is that bad form you know do make the ballot public all right so connor says i do need to make the ballot public well eventually i might i'm not going to do that today but eventually i might make the full ballot public here's one of the things i am trying to do though like i am not a historian i'm not smart enough to be a historian but I am an appreciator of history and I, some of the most fun stuff related to what I've been doing, kind of going through the process of making my you know, initial selections for induction of the Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame is going back to like the early days of Georgia high school football. And it is just really fascinating to kind of go back and think about not just, you know, the state, uh, you know, the, the sport in this state in its infancy, but back, back before football was even nearly as big a deal around the country as it is now, early 1900s, things like that kind of cool to think about some of the guys who sort of brought the sport to the forefront in the state there's also a very sad chapter related to all of this you know the segregation that obviously occurred at one point in time and so many great football stars who simply didn't get their the the glory they were due and i think one of the special things about our hall of fame it's a chance to i I don't want to say completely right that wrong because you can't go back to the past and, and 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 fix that necessarily but you can honor here what should have been honored long before and i take that part of my job you know really seriously and i'm trying to dig deep and in, in, into some of that and, and learn more about some of the guys you know they didn't play in what we would think of as the ghsa and didn't get to play in kind of an integrated version of the sport you know you know who needs to be honored because of that you know baseball's kind of gone through some of the same process with stuff like that and we're clearly doing that with the georgia high school football hall of fame and frankly i take that pretty seriously but the other thing that i've been kind of doing here and i'll get ready to wrap this up but the the other thing that i've been you know kind of doing here related to all of this is i have learned a lot about some former georgia guys throughout all this former uga players and i don't know it's been really cool to see like like for instance like buck baloo is a guy that i've known for a long time and obviously you know buck has a great sort of you know piece of our mind here because he helped lead georgia national championship in 1980 but y'all do you know how good Buck Ballou was in high school? Like, that's one of the cool things that I've actually gone back to, like, learn in sort of preparing to, to, to make this vote of just how phenomenal his stats were as a great multi-sport athlete there at uh, Valdosta High School in the 70s. It's, you know, really before I was born. Uh, but it's it's phenomenal to go back and look at what he did as a high school player. Now, I'm not saying for sure he's going to be on my final ballot. Frankly, I've got 50-something people on my final ballot right now. I've got to cut it basically in half to you know to be able to submit it but that's a that's a high school stat line that was way more prolific than i maybe thought it was expected to be uh andy johnson another guy like that and this really is before my time but andy johnson was a very good quarterback at georgia he played at the old athens high school back when that was still a thing that's a former georgia quarterback a huge career there in athens and i didn't you know really know this it's it's been really fun to kind of go back and and look at some of this kind of stuff i can't wait i guess eventually i probably will share my whole ballot and eventually we'll share the entire induction class but i'm in the process of kind of going through all this right now and i just wanted to mention just how much fun it is to make some of those selections i'm sure i'll get some of it wrong and i'm sure those who are following this closely will have some great arguments about who should be getting in that may not be getting in but i am taking the process very seriously i want a great class i want my 
ballot on this to look like the history of the state in an appropriate way and so it's it's a cool thing right now my first ballot is due going into the weekend so i'll give you more updates on that as we kind of get there and of course doing stuff like that in the summer sitting around by the pool maybe reading some of these old bios and all that kind of stuff makes me also happy to have a nice good cooler of ice cold finished long drink with me as i do because when i'm outside the pool or going fishing or playing golf or whatever else that you might be doing this time of year the finished long drink just goes great with it and actually this is a true story so um went to the lake on saturday and one of my neighbors who we went up there with was like uh ba you got any finished long drink she didn't call me ba but i guess everybody else does uh she goes you bring in that finished long drink with you we need some more of that cranberry she loves the uh, finished long drink cranberry and a lot of folks do there as well it's a ready to drink cocktail comes right there in a can it's got the gin kick so it's this is a good mixed drink for those of you who like that this time of year and you can get you know grapefruit flavor or you want cranberry flavor you get different kind of varieties there as well it comes from finland back in the 1950s that's why it's called the finnish long drink back when the summer games were in helsinki it's been in america now for a few years and it's in georgia now and you can pretty much get some wherever you might be going you know uh, pools uh, beverage stores golf courses all kinds of places a great way to uh, to enjoy yourself here this time of year so go to the longdrink.com you can find out more about that uh, where you can pick up some finished long drink today how did this show turn to be so long i feel like it's the middle of summer. <laughs> we're well over an hour uh I don't quite know how this one turned into such a marathon, but here we are. Nonetheless, we'd like to close out our show by giving you a a golden shoe. We didn't do this yesterday. One of these days we didn't do this because I've had a little bit of an issue with my Photoshop. But uh, I got a great one to give for you today. Obviously, Florida have been struggling recruiting. Our buddy Mad Dog reaches out and saying the Gator season ticket holder is going to be getting an autographed photo of Billy Napier in the mail as an appreciation for their continued support to go along with the open letters and things like that that he's writing this is really funny it's a gator envelope you get the autograph from billy napier but the photo is uh billy bob thornton from sling blade that's the nickname that some georgia fans have given to napier because of his resemblance good stuff from mad dog this is one of his better ones this is very funny mad dog's a very talented dude uh speaking of those lousy stinking gators about four thousand nine hundred twenty days since they have won a national championship boy that's a long time and gator hater countdown back in jacksonville 122 days from right now strutting in as the national champions and getting themselves another win fun to think about that this is dog nation daily presented by breda pass management we will see you again tomorrow and on the podcast time now have the rs andrews podcast cool down take a few comments here at uh, dognation.com when we post the show each and every day and i realize a lot of you most of you lion's share of you sort of listen to a podcast platform like apple or spotify or something like that but if you want to share your thought you know and be have a comment read during the cool down one of the best ways to do that is to when you're at dognation.com or maybe take a trip to dognation.com and when you see the podcast being posted I always label it georgia football podcast that's how you know it's dog nation daily you can click into that go down to the bottom and just share whatever you want to share and i'll be sure to read it during this portion of the show or you can also hit me up on twitter at dog nation daily including a cowboy dog who uh, weighs in today to remind us that we're coming up on and even 5,000 days since uh, Florida's won a national championship and some sort of like 5K celebration on that probably makes uh, to be pretty good sense. Maybe we will do something fun around that. Maybe we'll have a 5K that – could I run a 5K? <laughs> a 5K for the 5K? Uh, maybe we will do something along those lines. That's uh, That's actually <laughs> – if we have a 5k to raise awareness for florida's national championship in two, that's actually not a bad idea we're also now speaking of countdowns 
we're inside of like what 65 66 days something like that till georgia plays oregon the season open we've had a lot of fun meetings about that lately i mean i really feel like on the other side of july the 4th i mean i think you can basically go ahead and treat the season as if it's here we'll have sec media days we know the month is going to be very prolific for georgia in terms of probably taking a lot of commitments and then by the time the dust settles on some of that kind of stuff it really will essentially be time for practice to begin and i mean you're going to have heavy dose of news on a pretty regular basis after that leading into high school football here in the state a lot of that in the month of august obviously the season there in september it's all going to be here before you know it so i'm glad to have you with us in the summertime as we do all of this but also really glad to know the sport we love it's really not that far away so uh Good stuff on all of that. Thanks for being here today on the R.S. Andrews Podcast. Cool down. Find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. While you're waiting for the season to begin, you stay hot at home because of that old, tired AC unit. Get that thing tuned back up to factory fresh specs. R.S. Andrews will let you do all of that today. Find them online, rsandrews.com. And we'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll talk to you then, everybody.